Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans? And welcome into the Tuesday, March the 19th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the South Beach Beard arrives. I'll tell you what Ryan Fitzpatrick signing means for now and the future, plus an offensive lineman added to the roster and getting to know the young players that are vital to Miami's development during the 2019 season. And we'll finish this thing up by exploring the type of contract extensions we can expect this summer and beyond for Miami's own homegrown talent. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. The blog page is blowing up, so don't get left behind. Check us out there. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I've always got a busy show for you guys. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins The first news item of the day is the Dolphins signing a offensive lineman from Jacksonville. He worked under now Dolphins offensive line coach, former Jaguars offensive line coach, Pat Flaherty. Sounds like he has the build and look and everything you want in an offensive guard from that perspective, but he just never put it together. He's an undrafted free agent out of Minnesota State, which also is the same school that Adam Thielen played at. So I don't know what kind of connection that means. I just know the guy, I've never heard of him. And that's very rare for me, a person that studies this league religiously. I had never heard of Chris Reed. So we'll get more into his tape on tomorrow's podcast. As you guys know by now, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I do not get to record from my house. I'm on the road, so it's a little bit more difficult to get the tape study up while I'm out here and don't have my full setup. So we'll talk about Chris Reed on tomorrow's podcast, and does he have a chance to start at left guard for the Dolphins? Right now, he currently is the starter, so we'll see. As far as the quarterback goes, we have a starting quarterback, and we know who that is now. Ryan Fitzpatrick signs a two-year contract with the Dolphins. We touched very briefly on it yesterday's show, but I wanted to get more into it today. I still do not have contract details as far as what the guaranteed money is. We know that it's a two-year contract. $11 million contract that with incentives can climb to 17 or 20 million bucks based on snaps and performance, which I hope the Dolphins protect against that because they do not want to pay Ryan Fitzpatrick that kind of money because it will disrupt the comp picks. We'll get into that just in one second here. But I think what this means is they're planning on starting Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. I still hold out a little bit of hope that can trade up and go find Kyler Murray. I don't think they can, but I I obviously hope they can. I just don't think it's going to happen. So I think that Fitzpatrick starts this season in 2019 and then bridges into a backup role in 2020 to whoever the first round quarterback is that season, which at this point, I also don't think it'll be Tua just because I don't believe this team will lose enough games to get that far down there. 
But Fitzpatrick is a perfect option for that. And if you guys want to find the film study up on LockedOnDolphins.com, I showcase the fact that he is very Matt Moore-like and the fact that he's a gunslinger and the dude trusts his eyes, which is a great trait for a quarterback. You want a guy that has that confidence in his own ability and his own preparation, which Fitzpatrick has in spades. He lets that thing rip the minute he sees it. He loves to anticipate, but it also gets him into trouble and it also causes him problems because he's not the most consistent from a fundamental and mechanic standpoint. His feet sometimes get crazy and he does not have the Patrick Mahomes trait where he can go off angle and off platform and make the same accurate throws. He'll sail balls. He'll put them in the dirt. They'll go all over the place if he's not aligned and clean. And sometimes he'll see a anticipation route opening up and he'll start to throw it. And then somebody will peel off and disguise the coverage and he notices it mid-throw and then the ball gets away from him and almost always gets picked off and he will throw picks for that reason because he is aggressive and he will attack you over and over and over again. He also has this very strange inherent sense to scramble and to break pressure, which is a different trait from what the Dolphins have been used to over the last couple of years. He's very good at getting the football out of his hands quickly, and he will scramble for run, for big gains, for touchdowns, for first downs. And the biggest thing I like about him is the fact that he can galvanize a huddle and galvanize the team. You look at the way he runs in for touchdowns last year, even with the Bucks, his teammates love him when he does that. They go over to him and pick him up and slap him on the helmet, all that fun stuff. And I think that's a big reason why you like him as a potential backup in year number two and mentor to the starter because they have two jobs. And I've talked about this a lot. Number one is to prepare the starter with tendencies and third down cutups and everything they need to get ready to start the game. And number two, they have to be able to come into the game in a pinch and perform. And you need a guy that can help elevate the play of his teammates around him. And the people have to like that guy for him to do that. And Fitzpatrick is certainly that guy. So I think this means Fitzpatrick in 2019 and then Fitzpatrick as the backup in 2020 with Jake Fromm or Tua, whoever it might be in 2020, Fitzpatrick is a great backup for that quarterback. Now, as far as why I don't think the Dolphins can get to a Tunga Vailoa is I think they're just too good in too many areas and too good of a coach team to get the number one pick in this year's draft because every single year, the team that picks first in the draft has terrible coaching, whether it was Hugh Jackson, whether it was last year with Steve Wilkes and the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Kyle Shanahan's kind of the exception to that rule because the Niners just have so many injuries every year, it seems like, that he can't get out of his own way. But you watch the way the Niners played games last year. They were competitive in a lot of those games. Even with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard at quarterback, they took the Niners to the buzzer. They were on top of the Giants for a long time. They had that beatdown of the Raiders. So I just think that if you're well-coached and we think that Brian Flores and his experienced staff with so many impressive names on the staff will be too well coached because the talent margin in this league is pretty thin and a lot of times coaching decisions can make the ultimate difference. So the Dolphins can acquire as many draft picks as they want and pretend like they have a chance to trade up and go get to it next year. But whoever gets that first pick, unless it's like the New York Jets if Darnold gets hurt or the Arizona Cardinals if Kyler Murray gets hurt or maybe the Texans if Deshaun Watson gets hurt, there's only like three or four teams that would have that pick that would pass on to Tonga Vailoa and take the haul of draft picks in my opinion. And I just don't see any of those teams happening. So unless Miami finishes with the worst record, they're not going to get Tua and I don't think they'll have the first record. As CK Parrott on Twitter points out, only three out of the last 30 seasons, the team that was favored to go number one overall before the season started, only three of them have finished in that spot. So those odds are pretty long, about 10% for Miami. 
okay, I want to come back and continue this point on Fitzpatrick and what it means for compensatory picks and what the Dolphins were doing at the quarterback position beforehand, before Fitzpatrick signed. We'll get into that and the young players on this roster you need to know about before we go into training camp in August. All of that and plenty more next Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. It's a Tuesday on the podcast here, Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and the sun is finally shining back in my hometown in central Washington out here a couple hours away from Seattle, and the snow is finally starting to go away, so I am very, very happy. We have Mariners baseball on tomorrow's docket, even though the game is at 2.35 in the morning, but baseball's back, that means good weather is back, and that means football is still kind of around the corner. Let's go ahead and get back into this Ryan Fitzpatrick talk and talk about the compensatory picks and where the Dolphins stand on that front because the contract that Fitzpatrick signed is going to have big ramifications on what happens to Miami's comp picks depending on the details of the deal. And we get this from Nick Corte at Twitter, or on Twitter rather, at Nick Corte. He says the APY that Ryan Fitzpatrick will be critical for learning which of their 2020 compensatory picks he cancels out. That sounds confusing, but this will not be. If it's less than $6 million per year, then it's only a seventh round draft pick, which is that Brandon Bolden draft pick. If it's between six and 11 million APY, then it's the fifth round pick they got for Cam Wake. And if it's more than 11 million, then it's the third round pick for Jawan James. But we know that's not going to be the case. It could be the fifth, could be the seventh. We'll see what happens with that. And to be completely honest, I'm not sure which pick it'll be because I could see a scenario where they put the money into year number one, but I could also see a scenario where they put the money into year number two. So it will either be the fifth or the seventh round pick. It's not going to be that third round pick they get for Jawan James. And another topic on this Ryan Fitzpatrick signing, which goes back to the idea that a lot of the beat writers or even national people really didn't have an inkling on Ryan Fitzpatrick being on the Dolphins' radar. I sure as hell didn't. And he sure as hell is nothing like Teddy Bridgewater and Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback, at least stylistically, He's a completely different player, which kind of throws off my idea for what they want at the position in terms of this immediate year. I do think his signing has more to do with the fact that really he was the only, and I I use this word very judiciously, he really was the only competent option at quarterback that was on the market outside of the draft, which we know the Dolphins will have to trade up to get someone that is of that competence as well. So I think they probably just went that route because he was the only guy left. And also, like I've talked about, I believe he serves a very big purpose in the quarterback room once they do get that rookie. So I think what this tells us is that they're the lack of leaks in the building has really been shortened up and tightened up with this new regime because in the past, stuff got out all the time that eventually wound up being true, but I just don't think this team is going to let information get out like they used to, and this is my tinfoil hat idea that they false flagged the situation with either one or both of those quarterbacks. I assume the Bridgewater interest was real, but Tyrod Taylor... I don't know about that. I don't know if they'd be interested in his style of play. Would they bring them into the building and give them low ball offers just to show that fake interest? I mean, that's very Bill Belichickian of the Dolphins to do. So I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, like I said, I know it's tinfoil. I know it's Alex Jones, but 
I think it's a possibility. So that's the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing. That's what it means in a nutshell. Let's go ahead and move on here and talk about our next subject of the podcast, which coincides with an article up on LockedOnDolphins.com written by yours truly. It's called Dolphins Future Focus Shines a Light on the Youngsters. And I wanted to look at some of the players that were either undrafted free agents, practice squad signings off other rosters, or guys that were drafted with relatively high draft picks that have not panned out so far. And of course, a couple of them actually are guys coming off their rookie season. But the idea is that we know Miami is going to be essentially a 20-game preseason schedule in 2019, trying to evaluate what they have on the roster, and there's plenty of young guys to look at, and even though the season does not kick off for 172 days, the Dolphins roster currently is significantly undermanned because free agency has grinded to a halt. The Dolphins are 35 players short of the permitted 90-man roster you're allowed to bring to training camp. We know we can add seven draft picks, but the idea is that there's going to be a multitude of undrafted free agents to go along with some of the trickle-in signings that happen from now throughout the course of the summer. But the Patriots, going back over the years, and this comes from Patriots beat writer Evan Lazar, he details that the Patriots have currently a streak going on of 15 consecutive years in which an undrafted free agent made the opening day roster. That is unprecedented and I imagine the Dolphins will have at least one, if not three or four UDFAs that make the opening day roster for Miami this year. And with that, we have to look over a piece of the roster that I think is widely unknown by the casual Dolphins fan. Of course, if you're listening to a Dolphins podcast, you probably know these guys or at least a little bit about them. But I wanted to look at some of the players that could be eager to take a jump to the next level and maybe get into the rotation, maybe even start some games. And I start there with Jonathan Woodard, who was a seventh round draft pick of the Jaguars back in 2016. He signed to the Dolphins practice squad in 2017 and finally got his first action last year. He had nine tackles and a sack. He played 128 total snaps, and I thought he was fantastic setting the edge in the run game. And at 6'6", 271, he really does have the ideal build, build rather for what this team wants at that position in the new defense. So I think right now he's probably a starter before more additions happen on the roster. But once we get into August, I think he's a legitimate rotational piece, like a 40 to 50% snap taker on the defensive line. And then we go back into the secondary and look at some of these players that really there's a lot of cornerbacks that have a chance to make a push this year. And a big reason I'm excited for that group of players is because Patriots former cornerbacks coach is now in Miami. Josh Boyer has been widely regarded for the, his work with undrafted free agents and late round picks in their own right. And I think he's going to get a crack at several Dolphins cornerbacks to make that move this coming season. We start with Torrey McTire, who I was pretty harsh on last season, but he kind of earned it. He played 498 total snaps, 346 of those on defense. And frankly, I really couldn't find a specific game where he stood out and played well throughout the game. But there were brief moments where he showed flashes of the long speed and the ability to mirror and play man coverage, which gives him an option at the perimeter corner spot. So I think he can be in that role and a solid special teamer. The guy that I really like is Jalen Davis. He played in the slot last year and took on 47 snaps in total through the last two games of the year. 28 of them came in the slot. He had a sack, a forced fumble, a couple of PBUs, allowed just 24 receiving yards on five targets in that Jacksonville game on three catches. I think he really has the bite they like 
at that spot. Another cornerback out of out of Southern Miss, Cornell Armstrong, last year's sixth round draft pick. He specializes in man coverage, has the long arms and the 4-4-3-40 to boot. He's an intriguing prospect, had five picks in college. I think he has a chance to really make an impact as far as depth on the cornerback position and a ace special teamer. And then we have these group of guys that really need to pick it up in year number three, year number two. And it starts with Charles Harris. And I went back over some of his tape from his rookie season in 2017. And he really didn't play that bad. There was a lot of reps where he showed hustle. He showed grit. He showed a pass rush move. He showed counter moves. He came inside and collapsed the pocket from the defensive tackle position. Now, he does get washed away in the run game too much, but I think he could transition into an on-ball linebacker in this new defense, and he might have a chance to stick out on the team this year compared to what he was last year in a huge, huge sophomore slump. And then there's a couple of tight ends. Mike Gesicki, you guys know about him. He really struggled last season and probably needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. Of course, I do believe the Dolphins will do better in terms of using him the right way this year compared to keeping him into pass protect, which is his worst entire trait in his body of work, something he can't do. He has to get better functional strength and he has to improve his contact balance, but I think that the new scheme will help him do both those things in 2019. And of course, his position mate, Durham Smythe, who is more on the bubble now after the Dwayne Allen and Clive Walford signings because those guys do the same job he's supposed to do, but he did have some nice dugout blocks and work as an inline blocker as a rookie in 2018, but he's going to have to outperform Nick O'Leary and Clive Walford to get playing time this year. And then there's a group of guys that really... They're long shots. We'll just go over them real quick. Isaac Asiata, he is so technically unsound. I don't see him having a fit on this team long-term, although he was one of four tendered restricted free agents this year. Zach Stirrup, the tackle, another one of those guys, but his tape has been awful so far. The center, Connor Hilland, he had some praise last year and played a lot in the preseason. He'll get a chance at backup center duties this offseason. Defensive tackle, Jamius Pittman, he had a call-up midseason. He's about 320. And I think he has the frame to add more weight to that and be more of a two-gapper opposed to the aggressive one-gap, get-up-field penetrating type. He did play 45 snaps last year as a UDFA. Isaiah Ford, the receiver, had the great college tape, but I think that ACO really derailed his career. I don't have high expectations for him, the Virginia Tech receiver. And then Kendrick Norton was a late-season add to the practice squad. He'll have a crack on the defensive line as well. Quinton Poling, you guys probably recall him from last year's draft. He was a seventh-round pick, but he's very, very unrefined. He might have a chance to be a special teamer, as well as cornerbacks Jamal Wiltz and D. Delaney. So keep an eye on those guys. Check out that article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's called Dolphins Future Focus Shines a Light on Youngsters This Upcoming Season, as we can pretty much count on this year being all about scouting and keeping an eye on these younger players, as well as some of the quarterbacks in the college game. Nonetheless, you'll have plenty to watch this year to get ready for the 2020 season as we evaluate the entire 2019 season. All right, next on the podcast, we're going to come back and talk about some players that deserve contract extensions and why the Dolphins will probably give it to them as they change the way they do business. Next, on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. As we see all the funny money getting passed around during free agency to a bunch of players, frankly, that aren't worth the contracts they're getting, I think it's an appropriate time to talk about some of the guys on Miami's own roster as they completely shift their focus to 
the way they run the business in terms of who they pay and how much they pay them. And there are four players that I think will garner contract extensions for Miami in this new approach to stop buying the imported goods with that tax on the open market and stop treating our own guys like afterthoughts. So when can we expect them to get locked up and for how much? Let's go ahead and start with the number one guy, as always, Xavier Howard, the first one to get to. And if I'm in charge, I am doing this deal before training camp starts because I want Xavier happy and taken care of. Remember last year in camp, how dominant he was and how many headlines he drew talking about stealing Devontae Parker's soul? I think they ought to just take care of him before he gets out there, before he has to lace him up and just make him happy before he gets to camp in August. And the starting point of this contract is, well, frankly, it's the top paid cornerback in the National Football League, which right now, hilariously, is Josh Norman. He makes $15 million per year, and the next highest paid is even more funny. Last year's prize free agent of the New York Jets, cornerback Tremaine Johnson, at the Jets, he got $14.5 million per year, and these guys' guarantees are through the roof at 36 fully guaranteed and 34 fully guaranteed, respectively. So that's what it's going to cost to keep Xavier Howard in Miami. A five-year deal with $75 million total and $40 million of that guaranteed. That is $15 million per year on the annual average if they lock him up right away. And do it now before later because if you wait, he's only going to get more expensive. He's going to have the allure of that open market. Just pay him now. Bite the bullet. You have the money to do it. Put the money in year number one. Load it up. Make him happy. And let's go. And that brings us on to player number two. And this is the one guy that you probably can push back a year because there is club control for the next two, maybe even three years. You have him this year on the rookie deal. And then 2020 is his fifth year option. But you build good faith by not letting him get to a potential franchise tag Because doing that is how you make players angry at you. It's how you build bad relationships with agents and it costs you in the long haul. So pay him now, get it out of the way. I would say after this season. But Trent Brown just got $16.5 million per year. Look at the names we're talking about here in the free agent market. Josh Norman, Tremaine Johnson, Trent Brown. That's why you pay guys on your own roster rather than going to the free agent well or like Nate Solder last year, for instance. Average tackles getting paid buku bucks. $16.5 million per year for Trent Brown with $36 million guaranteed. So that's the starting point. It sounds scary, but it is what it is, and it's only going to escalate down the road. Extend him in 2020 when Miami has all that money to spend in next offseason. I'd pay him a shitload of money up front and buy yourself some wiggle room later down the road in the contract. So next offseason, I'm giving Tunzel a four-year, $70 million deal with $40 million and guaranteed. That's $17.5 million per year. I know it sounds crazy to pay two players upwards of $33 million in total. But let's take care of these guys because we know they're stars. We know they're blue chip players. Both guys, blue chips, not even in their prime yet, at high profile, elite, important positions. Take care of them. Do not mess around. These two guys are going to be integral pieces when this team is making deep playoff pushes three years down the line from right now. And then there's the far cheaper options, like way cheaper. And we start with Jakeem Grant, the wide receiver and punt returner, because his primary value right now is as a return man, though I still believe, based upon the limited body of work he has under Adam Gase, that his upside as a receiver is huge. And you pay him now, I think that protects you from the breakout season he could have this year. And so we look at Taylor Gabriel's contract with the Bears he signed last season in Chicago. He got $26 million over four years, and the average is right around $6.5 million per year. You'll recall Danny Amendola was 
on a $6 million per year contract previously. I think that's a terrific range for Jakeem Grant. So I'd give him that deal straight across. Just give him a Taylor Gabriel deal. Four years, $26 million bucks, guarantee $14 million of it. Makes him the 36th highest paid receiver. And it's great for a guy that I think can be your number three receiver for a long, long time in this offense. And then last... Kenyon Drake. And this year is going to be telling. He's not like the other three guys I already mentioned because I believe that I believe in him, frankly, but there have been things that I've been told about his character that might make you apprehensive. And we've even seen some tweets that might make you feel that way because maybe his maturity isn't quite where it needs to be. And when I was in the press box last year for the Miami Miracle game, Omar Kelly told me, quote, there are things that people don't see with Kenyon Drake, end quote, regarding why he didn't play as much last season behind Frank Gore. And I believe that. I believe that to be true. That said, what kind of deal is he looking at? He's one of the toughest ones to project because I think they're going to play the wait and see game with him And yeah, that could lead to him outperforming the Dolphins' price range, but sometimes that's a gamble you just have to take. I'm going to work off of Tevin Coleman's new deal with the 49ers. He got $4.25 million over just two years per year, but we'll expand that out to three years. Give him a $12 million contract over three years, guarantee half of it right down the middle at $6 bucks guaranteed. That should make everybody happy. And that's not terrible running back money on a market that really does not pay players at the position. It makes him the 15th highest paid back in football. So you get him at 15th highest paid, you get Grant at the 36th highest paid, and then you make Tunzel and Howard the highest paid left tackle and cornerback in the year, at least for one year until everybody else gets new deals and they get bumped down. So that's the idea. And as for my time today, that is going to be it for today's show. We'll talk more in depth about Miami's new offensive guard, Chris Reed, on tomorrow's podcast. And a reminder that if you have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Or if you have Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull us up right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts. For all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams, follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.